HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From The Man About It. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan. See, I'm even screwing up my own name, Harlan Turkel. Here today with my aunt Zilberman, who initially told me you have a little bit of anxiety about this, but... You know, you shouldn't. You should not at you all. Because it for me. I, no, I, exactly. I told you I was anxious, and now you're... Well, I'm, I'm anxious so to know more about you, because you kind of have such a fascinating life. You know, um, I saw an article about you candifying. I don't even know what the term is. Uh, uh-huh. Putting things in caster sugar, um, letting them crystallize, pouring you know, hot liquid sugar on top. These, these very kind of banal things from watches to you know, little... Sure, old school Kodachrome slides sure. and we'll get to all that but mm-hmm. you know then I find out so much more I know you had a lingerie line yeah, I, I know you're in the fashion time. world mm-hmm. um, but you were born and raised on a kibbutz in Israel sure yes I was yeah <laughs> I mean that itself, I was born there I wasn't raised my entire childhood yeah I was born there and lived in so the what exactly a kibbutz is a kind of a farm or is it more of a well, commune some of them are yeah. farms um, some of them are communes some it's a communal living yeah but it's it's no longer like that anymore it was in the you know in the 60s and 70s yeah into the 80s but um, now it's more like a a really hippie cul-de-sac, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> funny you, because you say hippie, and you know, there's that point of Williamsburg where you definitely have the hippie, the hipster. Sure. But then you cross over a street, and it's completely Hasidic. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's Hasidic in a way that nothing really infiltrates it either. You know, it's a very secular community. Yeah. Um, growing up, did you feel like you were part of a secular community? No, not at all. Yeah. No. You felt and actually, like you were, I didn't really grow up around. Um, those kind of communities, the kibbutz where I was born on was quite modern, 
um, and was not religious at all. Yeah. Uh, we did have farms, and actually the, the kibbutz where I was born, it's called Deganya. It was actually the first one that was ever established in the state of Israel. Yeah. Um, and I lived there until I was about three. Yeah. I only think this is important because maybe religion doesn't play a huge role in your I life. I think it is very important. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in fashion, you know, you think about uniforms. Mm-hmm. And even in school, like when, when you grew up, when you were going yeah. to school, were there specific uniforms that you There wore? were very specific uniforms, and I'm so glad you asked about that because it really informed my style and my aesthetic, even into making edible work. Um, I went to a religious private school in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and we wore felt tunics, white shirts and Oxfords, but it had a very, uh, Hasidic appeal, I'd say, because yeah. it was, uh, very dark and airless, um, like a very airless color. It's very funny to say appeal and airless in the same mm-hmm. sentence. <laughs> um, well, you know, to each his own, but I, yeah. I really, uh, gravitate toward fashion that looks like that. Yeah. Um, in a brutal fashion. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you came to New York at a young age, too, at around 15. Yeah, around then. You know, mm-hmm. and it was the 90s in New York. It sure as hell was, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I remember the 90s in New York, and it was trying to get over the hump, and Giuliani came in and was shipping people, you know, the homeless to Albany, and trying to clean up the subway system again. It was great for a young girl who wanted to wear hot pants all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was fabulous. Yeah. I could walk the streets at night, and, you know, I felt... Uh, like no one untouchable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what does it feel like now? Uh, now, I think I'm sort of immune to any of that kind of stuff anyway. If there were, uh, if it was dangerous, I think I, I wouldn't feel it so much. Yeah. I mean, talk um, about the flair. I mean, talk about the fashion of those days. The fashion of those days. Um, one of the reasons I came to New York was to get away from the Pacific Northwest where I was living, where everyone was really deeply affected by grunge and anti-fashion and even in all of the fashion magazines at that time all you'd see was anti-makeup anti-glamour um and i was really influenced by uh r&b music during that time and hip-hop during that time and and girl rappers who were dressing in like lots of strappy kind of outfits with glitter and you know strappy sandals and crazy hairdos and stuff and that's really what inspired me to get into fashion and to move to new york so when i moved here that was really what what excited me was like girls who would wear all one color or you know a lot of rave culture but less less rave more um more like dance parties. Yeah, than, but I mean, it was like wonderfully vivid, monochromatic. Very, it wasn't, very you know, vivid. Like yes, and nudes. right. It wasn't about gray. It was about like fluorescent orange or cherry red. And um, if you look back at any of my photo photo uh, essays from that time, <laughs> there's a lot of evidence of that. And that um, was what excited me to get into fashion in the first place. You're so lucky because I, I guess since you've uh, since twelve, you really yeah. haven't grown that much. Yeah, that's so you true. get to pull. You get to pull from this wardrobe. Who'd you talk to? Yeah, <laughs> I, I did my research, but you. No, it's it's true. I've been wearing a lot of the same clothes since I, since my bat mitzvah. Yeah, pretty much. Like my mom took me on the greatest shopping spree of all time. Anyone who's twelve who's Jewish can probably relate to this. <laughs> and um, and you know, I bought all the best dresses in the mall. And um, this was also a time before um, we really had a lot of fashion outside of New York or Paris or, you know, we, 
we as though that's me. Um, other people had that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the, the coolest, hippest thing to get was something from Betsy Johnson or, you know, kind of a contemporary designer like that. Um, so I, I have a lot of those dresses and I, because I didn't really grow after that, I had a growth spurt early on. I've been wearing a lot of that same stuff. That's amazing that you can kind of go back and pull those relics from, you know, the oh, it's closet. Great. It's so fun. Yeah. But your food life, I mean, we're going to talk about this yeah, confectionery thing it too. What, sure. Was it all parallel? I mean, were you looking at food trends? Were you looking at bit. food I've, like monoculture? You know, so, I've never really been that in, in what they call a foodie. Are they still using that term? I believe so. I try to stray away from it. Yeah, I heard that one time. I didn't know if it was a thing. Um, (laughs) I've never been into gourmet, or um, I wasn't really that exposed to fancy restaurants growing up, and no one really taught me about food. Um, By no fault of my family, they're wonderful, but I wasn't um, shown the ropes, so to speak. Um, And I didn't do a lot of grocery shopping with my mom. I spent a lot of time on my own, and I've always loved... uh, I wouldn't need to say junk food, but snack food or express food, food that's easy to, to get your hands on that doesn't require a lot of preparation. And um, since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated by packaging and different, when I travel, when we go on road trips or whatnot, um, when we move around, I loved going to grocery stores and delis and pharmacies and looking at all the different snack foods. And to me, it was like alien food, like it can't, like it, it didn't make any sense to me how it was produced. You can't picture where does this come from? There's no way this grew up from the ground. And it wasn't gross to me. It was super fascinating. And I've always felt a little bit alien to begin with. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of kids feel that way. It's a kind of a coping mechanism when you feel out of place growing up. But I really felt like I was an alien. So I found this alien food and that was like comforting to me. And so growing up, I've, I've kind of f- followed that around. Yeah. I mean, was that slightly mm-hmm. a fault of your grandfather? I know he once told you about <laughs> what, what was it? Cornflakes yeah, weren't from actually, this earth. It's funny when when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents at their house, and in the mornings, I'd get up super early with my grandfather, and we'd we'd make meals super early in the morning because he used to tell me that's when aliens grew up, I would wake up, and I believed him, <laughs> so that made me get up with him. <laughs> um, and we'd spend time together making these concoctions and and potions in the kitchen, and. I really did believe until I was in grade school. I think I might have even mentioned it in school once, and everyone looked at me like I was insane. I said, no, 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 those those are actually aliens. They're little particles of aliens, those cornflakes. <laughs> like, with a totally straight face. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, someone forgot to tell me that that is not cool no, to I talk mean, about outside the house. <laughs> I think one of my favorite cereals, Quisp, literally has an alien-type fe- you know, figure yeah, on totally. uh, on the box. But, you know, you, you talk about seeing these snacks. What, what are some of the snacks that you both love to eat? Eat, but even more so love the design of because hmm. um, you think about then, the color and texture of cheetos i mean how otherworldly really, absolutely that? i never got into cheetos so much because i don't like things that require licking your fingers after <laughs> you can wear gloves because <laughs> that wouldn't be weird at all worse, especially like on the subway during the summer eating <laughs> cheetos with don't take on. me there Let's yeah. <laughs> um things that i like i loved um you know, it's funny. I'm. I don't know if they're American snacks or not. You know, there were certain snacks that we only got in Israel or you know in Canada. Um, I liked. They were called goodies, and they look kind of like a Mike and Ike or a, a Good and Plenty, but they were multicolored and skinnier. I love those because they looked like um, like confetti or like huge sprinkles. I really love uh, food or snacks that play with scale, and so the idea of 
um, magnifying the sprinkles you put on an ice cream cone and making them huge and then eating one by one, which seems totally perverted. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I see those textures, especially that sprinkle thing, you know, in the clothing of the mid nineties totally. in hip hop. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like you wonder where that flair came from, where those, I mean, I know some of them party were time. for culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go to party time at <laughs> the Atlantic party terminal. Time, yeah. Certainly there. Um, you know, again, these parallels to, mm-hmm. to, to food and fashion. Yeah. Um, you were looking at all this design. How did it start informing uh, your personal fashion? Or you eventually started a lingerie line. How, yeah. how did that kind of food and packaging influence you? Um, I think you? it's kind of, it's the way that you approach the world um, on, a, on a broader scale, of course. The way I've always approached things is wanting to take the frill out of things a little bit and to... Um, take something that might be traditionally feminine or traditionally cutesy and make it feel more like I can understand it and maybe not unisex but um, more about humor and and uh, personality um, so the food that I liked was very specific to my personality you know that I spent a lot of time laughing and I'm really into comedy and um, I wasn't so into girly stuff. Uh, so I wanted to make food that wasn't super into that. And when I started the lingerie line, you know, I've had a few different ones, but my most recent one, um, we wanted to, to make a line that appealed to girls that weren't into cutesy, froofy, boudoir, kind of Frenchy stuff. Um, we wanted to make a line that was for cool girls that, that you could wear and, and if you saw it, under your shirt or, you know, hooked up with a guy or girl, whatever it is, um, that it didn't feel like you were in a costume. And so that's kind of how I approach food or my art or any of the things that I do, that it shouldn't feel really costumey. Um, I like that it feels like part of your personality. And so the candy that I make, you know, to someone else that may seem really eccentric or wackadoodle or uh, nostalgic or hipster even. Um, I've heard that go around. But it's just whatever comes from your heart and makes you smile. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about the nostalgia a little mm-hmm. bit more, too, because, you know, I may have called uh, those items boring. Uh, you know, I, the slides, no, the Sharpies. I don't, I don't even think of it like that. Yeah. They're, they're banal items. Yeah. Sure. So why do you want to go through this process, which is putting them in caster sugar mm-hmm. and then pouring hot liquefied sugar over them? Why? They're actually, I'm um, sorry, I don't mean to, yeah, no to uh, backtrack for a second, but... I make casts of the pro- of the items, and then I fill the casts with sugar. So they're they're not coated; they're actual solid candy. Yeah. And I make them in gummies or taffies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole Wonka land. I mean. Yeah, there is. Um, but the reason I started choosing these items, I started making candy out of things that had memories attached to them, or things that I've had for a long time. Um, Firstly, I like the idea of burying things in the ground or burying things in sugar, which to me is the the ground. (laughs) Um, And this process of hibernation, like they have to be put away for a while before you get them back and they become something. And once it's like baking into why I got into baking and not into cooking, because cooking, you have something on the stovetop and you're watching it and you see you see how it's made and baking you're taking a, a gamble and you're you're sending something away to do something on its own and it comes back and by luck of the draw most often more often than not in my case you know it's 
it can be a real treasure and bring people a lot of happiness. And so I love this idea of bearing items that mean something to me, um, bringing them back and having them be something beautiful. And then the added bonus is giving them to someone else and it dissolves in their mouths and it's this very personal experience, this this product and this this object becomes part of them. Aside from that when last, they want. Yeah. Aside from that last little part, yeah. that cyclical thing seems uh-huh. almost like fashion. You know? It absolutely is. It's absolutely like fashion and specific to lingerie, the you know, what I've worked in the most is um we in lingerie we don't have the the luxury of making some all of our products in house. Most often you have to send it away to factories that have the the means to make the the garments that we want through their machines, their molders or whatever it is that you're doing. And it takes several weeks in that case. And I'm going back even further, growing up in a in a Judaic household in a in a pretty religious upbringing, you um a lot of what you do is is about hibernation and cycles and um it has everything to do with the moon which brings us full circle <laughs> yeah i know we can talk about biodynamic wine now <laughs> yeah. but on that note we're going to take a quick break sure. and when we return we'll talk a little bit more about braziers and bubble Absolutely. gum <laughs> you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org we'll be right back <laughs> Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with my aunt Zilberman. And we've been talking about everything from bras and, and lingerie and it's sucking hard, It's hard to get away and, from it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really sucking hard to avoid. and bubble gum. Uh-huh. Um, you know... The confection- we, sound, we sound like teeny boppers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, uh, not, I was going to say cosplay, but that's more decorative. Yeah, no, not no. cosplay. Okay, <laughs> definitely not cosplay. But the playfulness in what you're doing, though, um, it's kind of like this very childlike wonderment, you know. Um, but at the same time, there, there's such exploration in what you do. You're talking about preserving things almost, the nostalgia mm-hmm. of burying things in, in this sugar and, you know, making cast molds. So you have something forever. Uh, yeah. Kind of well, like it all started with a, a dream that I had when I was a kid um, that I dreamt that if I put all of my mixtapes, you know, we all had mixtapes, um, if I buried all of them in the ground, that I'd wake up and they'd turn into sugar. And this whole candy project, or, you know, now it's going to be a company, the whole uh, genesis of that idea was, was from this dream, was that if you buried something or put it away to dream about, that it would turn into something that you could share with everyone and that it could become someone else's experience. Yeah. And so it becomes less playful and cutesy and really more poetic. And that's really what I'm interested in now with these objects. I mean, you've done this for a while now. You, you yeah. even had like a little niche line of bubble gum that you, you used sure to you know, yeah. give out to friends. Uh-huh. But what was that point where it was no longer like this little artistic experiment and you wanted to turn it into I'll a business? I'll tell you what. It's always kind of a pivotal moment. Where I think we all have it where we're doing lots of favors for, for people and by word of mouth it's, oh, you've got to get my aunt to do the candy for your wedding. Oh, she'll do, oh, she's great. She'll do the, all the gum for your kid's graduation and all, everyone in their school. And, you know, and then you're dropping it off on a really hot day and it's like <laughs> 50 pounds and I'm dropping it off, and I don't know anyone in the room. And I think, wow, this isn't a favor anymore. I have a business. Yeah. <laughs> this should be a business. Yeah, I mean, sometimes freelancing you know? feels like that. Well, it wasn't even freelancing. I was doing it as favors yeah. to friends and friends of friends. And I get such pleasure out of making this stuff that it, it just seemed like nothing. But you scale up and you scale up, and then you realize that you really need to have it co-packed. You, need, you know, you, you need to have it really produced and. a serious factory yeah. <laughs> um, and the ingredients need to be regulated and um, but that is all the most exciting part now is finding those places that can do all of this and what is even more exciting is all the technology that's available now to add different ingredients to this product and it doesn't have to be old school chewing gum like hubba bubba or bubblish it's like I actually still chew that shit but you know I discovered nutraceuticals and all of this kind of thing where you can add it's really is the future. Yeah. You know, it's future food, which was always my dream. And now you can sell that in a deli. Yeah. And people are embracing this idea. I mean, you talk about the future, but at the same time, you're sourcing chicle from trees down in Mexico. I sure from bubble yeah, gum. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the original bubble gum. It is the original bubble gum. And I do have a dream of rehabilitating a factory down in Mexico to bring their, their trees back to life. And that's kind of a long-term goal. Um, but in the meantime, I'm looking at making medicinal products 
uh, in California. Yeah. Tell me yeah. more about this medicinal product thing, because I remember going to camp uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> it was a, it was like a wellness camp and you weren't allowed candy. What? But, no, but Smith Is Brothers. Is wellness, wellness camp a euphemism? I, no, <laughs> it was it wasn't a fat camp. <laughs> I, I know where you're going. We had quinoa and everything. Hey, it takes one to know one. It's fine. All right. <laughs> but there were these Smith Brothers cough drops. Uh, uh, yes, that we'd go up to you know that little commissary, and everyone would buy them and suck yeah. on those things because it oh, made you high. Yeah, well, no, everyone's like my throat sore. No, they were just all sugar. Oh, I, I mean, used to were... eat the whole package and like I am. Oh, so, I mean, yeah. we we would too, but at that age, <laughs> running around at camp, I was like know little Wayne at camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you going along that line of medicinal cough drops? A little drops? bit. Yeah. Um, not as much cough drops, more um, there's, you know, I'm just talking to people about what, I'm in the research phase, of course, and I'm talking to, to people in, in hospitals or people who have sick parents who are looking for, who love sweets. You know, as you get older, I spent a lot of time in nursing homes with uh, art classes and that kind of thing. And I remember everyone loves candy, but you can't necessarily eat sugar. And there aren't a lot of sugar-free products out there um, that are delicious and interesting and stylish that aren't cutesy. Um, So I'm looking at making candies for diabetics or there are um, a lot of medicines that I probably shouldn't talk about on the radio <laughs> for now. <laughs> you know, that are really great in hospitals. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of this also started because of a book, uh, Entertaining yeah. by Martha Stewart, yeah. where, where you learn <laughs> more about food as an experience, but also, I'm not saying that you're just trying to monetize, no, but that there's and, value in, yeah. in you know, Absolutely. doing this. Martha, I, I remember very distinctly finding um, her book called Entertaining, uh, it on my mom's bookshelf when I was a kid and looking through every single page and just thinking this was the most fascinating woman because she wasn't crafty and I was really never into this uh, this idea of making wreaths or potpourri or cutesy kind of stuff she was someone who knew things that she liked to make or knows, she, knows what she likes to make has a very specific aesthetic is very confident and straightforward and direct about the way that she wants to communicate these ideas and she made it a life and a business and a business for a lot of other people um, and that, as back in the day that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that and that was hugely inspiring um, she's pretty Awesome. Yeah, I know. I know you do like these thematic parties too. I sure do. Uh, yeah, I had done, one last night. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll have yeah. to. You've done voodoo parties. You've done denim parties. What uh-huh. was last night's party? Um, last night was pretty simple, actually. What I've learned from a lot of these theme nights when I have an activity for everybody to, so that they can take something home with them. Um, what I've learned is the simpler the better. I used to do like really. Uh, really detailed and abstract, like conceptually abstract uh, theme nights where, you know, it required everyone to do a little bit of research before they came over. Last night I made a lot of giant cookies and had a decorating station. And you know what? It's a win-win. Yeah. Everyone loves to take home a decorated cookie with their boyfriend's name on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems very boss mitzvah. Yeah. It is. And, you know, but everyone loves it and yeah. it's fun. And we all end up, you know, in the kitchen you know, someone inevitably makes boobs or butt, and someone's always going to go the poetry route. And, you know, like, Don't worry, I, I sent one of those giant cookies to my friend's bachelor party I couldn't attend, mm-hmm. and it had a giant penis um, 
dipping into a bowl of mashed potatoes. Oh. It's a BC Boys lyrics, if anyone yeah. knows that. I mean, it, it's... I think it's we like, all yeah. know it. <laughs> <laughs> Voodoo parties. Um, yeah. the, the interactivity there was kind of unknown towards yeah. the latter part. Yes, the Voodoo party was really special. It was a friend of mine's big birthday, and he's from Mexico, and... Uh, partakes in a lot of these kind of ceremonies. So I made a large voodoo doll that was in the center of the of the table. Um, and when each guest arrived at the party, I gave them a red lacquered stick, a, few, a handful of red lacquered sticks, and I didn't tell them what it was for until the end of the party when we presented the cake. And before we served the cake, everyone took turns piercing the doll. And then we ate it all together. And... It was a really beautiful experience. I mean, we all have a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we're all like you know super pretentious sitting around, uh, you know, reciting poems. But um, but it is a really beautiful shared experience um, when everyone somehow contributed to the final product. That is without touching anything. Yeah. With your hands, no germs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's kind of amazing is I think everything that you do is that fun shared experience. Mm-hmm. Um, even fashion, you know, the, the, yeah. the way you present yourself, it's, it's certainly for you. Um, yeah. But it, it's also for other people as well, correct? How's that? <laughs> well, just you get to express yourself, but you get to also let people um, think of different combinations of, of clothing, of textures, of yeah. color, of style mm-hmm. that you, you get to... Um, you know, educate a person's fashion palette that way. Sure, thank you. There's always a lot of room for inter- interpretation, um, and those are the designers I'm most interested in. And in any discipline, um, when there's room for interpretation and it's not so severe or strict, um, there aren't so many rules. And that's what's so fun about junk food, is that it's, it's not so adult, you know, and... I'm just trying to create something that's that's more for adults, that's chic and fun, um, but that's lighthearted. I think that's why everyone still loves Willy Wonka and, and that movie and, and the books and um, everything that feels like the future, but it feels like you'll be a kid forever. I can't say it better than that, so on that we'll end. <laughs> but just please tell us, how can we follow you how can I, I don't mean like 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 a prophet per se but how can we why not yeah i mean we could <laughs> but how how can i know more about this because it's been such a fascinating kind of um, evolution Thank you know you. through through the fashion scope through you know this candy scope but you know the entertaining and everything's Thank kind you. of coming together in this uh, well um i do have a website that i'm just in the process of launching um that will be my candy and my bubblegum and the nutraceuticals, all of that together. I'm also working on a, on a TV show for kids, uh, for young girls, um, uh, how to entertain, which is really fun. I think that's where, where it starts. I mean, girls and boys, anybody really, but I'm, you have to narrow your audience a bit. Um, but yeah, you can, you'll be able to find the candy real soon. Excellent. We'll, yeah, we'll be thank watching. You. Thanks so much. Thank you for so much. <laughs> Being on, my on, and you've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.